0: Good afternoon, New Hope. Today's scripture reading will be from James, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Warning against worldlessness. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. This is the word of the Lord. Hello again, New Hope. You know, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable, that means it's useful. That's all scripture is profitable. All scripture is useful. But I wonder if there are certain parts of the scripture that you personally have found especially profitable. Maybe maybe God has used certain passages especially in especially powerful ways to speak to you at certain points. To bring a new awareness, to bring an awakening perhaps, a transformation even. The passage that Marcelo just read has been one of those passages for me. I can remember the first time I was led to study this passage. It was in a book I read as a young husband. A young husband who was trying to deal with some of the arguments that my wife and I were experiencing. And since then, we've had countless opportunities to apply what God says here. It gave us a new understanding about where our conflicts come from. It was a simple, powerful revelation. My hope is that God would help all of us, that, that he would bring each of us a new awareness and even transform us and our relationships with what he has to say to us through James in these six short sentences. So let's ask him to do that. Would you pray with me again? Lord, your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to perform surgery on us. And so we ask that you would do that. Spirit, would you work in us to soften, to open us up, to receive whatever you have to tell us. Lord, would you not let us walk away from here unchanged, unmoved. Father, we ask that you would give us a humility to with, with meekness receive the implanted word. And help us to be hearers and doers of this word. We thank you in the name of our crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So conflict is commonplace, isn't it? Fighting happens everywhere. It's a part of living in a broken world. In fact, it's hard to imagine what the world would look like with no conflict, is it? In fact, it's so commonplace that some of us think that there's nothing we can really do about it. It's just always going to happen. We're always going to struggle with it, and really there's no change that can occur. James wrote this letter to followers of Jesus Christ who he knows were getting caught up in in fights, in quarrels with one another. Don't miss this, though. These verses, they're part of a larger discussion. He's not just shifting topics here to talk about fights. These verses are part of a larger discussion about wisdom. We saw this last week, that in chapter 3, James, he describes the difference between real wisdom, wisdom that comes from above, and what we might call false wisdom. James calls it earthly unspiritual, demonic wisdom, and he says that while the wisdom that comes from above, that comes from God, it leads to peace, and it leads to a harvest of righteousness, this counterfeit wisdom, it's rooted in selfish ambitions and bitter jealousy, and it always leads to, quote, disorder and every vile practice. Real wisdom heals and preserves relationships. It fosters peace. But false wisdom, it it wrecks all of that. It it leads to distrust, and it it gives rise to all sorts of conflicts. It, It tears communities apart and families apart. Can you think of people who exude real wisdom? We asked this question in our small group discussion on Thursday night, and folks thought of different characteristics that mark a truly wise person. Here's one. According to James three eighteen, they sow in peace and raise a harvest of righteousness. That is, wise people, they, they foster rightness around them, they, they foster goodness around them. They, they live well, they live godly lives, and they pursue healthy relationships, and they promote that in the people around them. The sad reality is that none of us has always lived like that, have we? We're not always peacemakers and our actions often undermine peace. We all experience fights, whether it's with family, with colleagues, with friends, church members. Sometimes it's a quarrel, as James says, and that word that James uses, it might mean just like a a quick squabble. It, it, It blows up and it blows over, like a hockey fight. Sometimes it's an ongoing confrontation, the word James uses for fight, it may mean something like that. If a quarrel is like a, a battle, then a fight is more like an ongoing war. It drags on. In, in fact, in some cases, maybe our conflicts, they've gone on for so long that they've morphed into just icy silence. Dust isn't being raised anymore. People aren't wrestling shooting off insults and screaming at each other. Instead, there's just a cold, tense distance. James wants to help. And his words, if we truly hear them, if we truly receive these words, they can help us deeply. There are three things we need to see here. They're really questions we want to ask. The first one is this. Why do fights happen? Why do fights happen? Let's look at why. Look at James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. See what James is saying here. When we are up in each other's faces, tangled up in a quarrel, There's a deeper conflict going on. When you go to war, it's because another war has already started. It's already been raging in your own heart. James says it's your passions that are at war within you that cause you to engage in war with others. Other translations don't say passions. They say your cravings or your desires. They're raging. You see, you want what you want, and you're not getting it. So you fight. God is not opposed to desires, but these are desires that are out of control. These are, in fact, desires that have become demands. You will not take no for an answer. You must get what you want now. And if you don't get these desires now, you will go on the offensive. You will declare, it's on. And that's going to look different for each of us, of course. For some of us, it's going to look like you know tomahawk missiles and, and napalm. It's just going to be all-out destruction. Shouting and finger-pointing, up-close intimidation, maybe even violence, throwing things. For others, it's, it's going to be a Cold War. A Cold War fought via sanctions. There's that icy silence, the withdrawal of resources like Kindness, affirmation, even eye contact. It's too good for you. We're at war. Many of us, we're going to land somewhere in between those two extremes. But no matter what your style of fighting looks like, it is war, it is ugly, and there are always casualties. And here's what James is telling us. It all started with a war inside. Author and teacher and counselor, David Powlison, late David Powlison, says these words. He says, James 4, 1 to 3, teaches that cravings underlie conflicts. That's a wonderful, useful, wonderfully useful bit of truth there. Cravings underlie conflicts. He goes on, why do you fight? It's not because of him or her, my wife, my husband. It's because of something about you. Now, those might seem like harsh words, but there's actually good news wrapped up in that. So, so what kinds of cravings are we talking about here? They could be cravings for anything. They could, in fact, and often are, cravings for good things. There, there are sometimes legitimate expectations you want to be listened to. You want to be heard and appreciated. You want to be respected and loved. You want to be recognized for the hard work you've done. And none of that is wrong. In the perfect world, you'd get all that. But we said that these are desires that are out of control, and they are raging a battle to be filled at any cost. They've become demands. And you'll go to war over them. So if I don't get the appreciation I want, I will fight you until you give it to me. If I don't feel recognized, if I don't feel listened to, I will hurt you if I need to get, if I need to, to get it from you. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, for instance, in a, in, in, in a home, for instance, let's say it's, uh, it's been a long day, and you've come home, and you're tired, and you've been looking forward to those first few minutes when you get in your house and you can just kick back, and it's an oasis for you. It's a place for you to rest and recover and heal from this day where you felt attacked and you have felt just worn out. And so you come home expecting to rest, and you expect to have some comfort, and instead what you find is that things aren't so restful at home. Maybe there's some chaos going on. Maybe there's some conflicts going on already when you get there. Maybe there's a list of things that someone would like you to do when you get there. Maybe there's reminders about the things that you didn't do yesterday that you said you were gonna do. And you realize very quickly that you're not gonna get the rest that you came home looking for. And So how might you respond? How come no one around here appreciates me? How come no one cares about what my day has been like? How come you're always asking me to do stuff? How come I gotta always come in and you guys are always fighting? Why does this have to happen? Why, why can't you guys just live at peace with each other? Now, what does what, what that person ask for? What am I asking for there? I'm asking for the, the kids to stop fighting. I'm asking to be appreciated a bit. But ultimately, what I'm asking for, what I'm asking for is my own comfort, and I'm not getting it. And because I'm not getting it, I'm not going to speak reasonably. I'm likely not going to just surrender my desires and embrace what God is presenting to me here at home. Instead, I'm very likely to go on the Offensive. Defending my comfort and attacking others for threatening it. Maybe you're a parent who desires respect from their children. And you have every reason to expect respect from your children. And God says, honor your parents. This is good. It's necessary. And yet what happens when you don't get that respect? Respect. Is it ever the case that when you don't get that respect, a war ensues? Because that desire, that deep desire for respect, is raging so furiously in your heart that when someone threatens to not give you what you want, your voice gets louder, you get up closer, doors start slamming, you start attacking. What's happened there? The war that was in here has spilled over. You're not getting what you demand. This happens within the church. It happens within the church. Many, many ways. Maybe you've been serving people in the church, serving in a ministry for a long time. You've been working hard. Whatever it is, you're not looking for rewards, but it would be nice to just feel that your efforts are appreciated. At least that's what you tell yourself. And then one day someone has a word of criticism. Maybe, maybe they just have a question, or maybe it's a, a suggestion. Here's something you should do different. And that, that conversation quickly becomes tense. It becomes confrontational. Why? Why? Conflict ensues. Why? The conflict could be blamed on the fact that this person is not appreciative enough, this person didn't speak to me respectfully, they don't respect my efforts, but really, what's going on here? There's this deep-seated impulse to get what you want and protect what you have, and because that's being threatened, conflict ensues. I want appreciation, recognition, not criticism, not suggestions. Douglas Moo, who is a scholar and commentator on the book of James, says, frustrated desire is what is breeding the intense strife that is convulsing the community. You see, the community is convulsing, in James, the community is convulsing with conflict, and underneath all of that, it's frustrated desires that's causing it all. And none of this should come as a surprise to any of us because if you ever watch kids fight, like toddlers fight, if you observe them closely enough, it'll give you some insight into our own conflicts. What do little kids fight over? I want that. I had it first. I want to sit there. I was sitting there. These desires are demands, and if a sibling won't comply, it's war. We might even look at that and laugh. You laugh if it's somebody else's kids. If it's your own kids, you're not laughing. Why, why do they get so worked up about this? It's only a seed. It's only a toy. There are plenty of others. Why? Perhaps there's some insight in here to how petty some of our battles are. When our territory gets threatened, when people cross the line... One child is angry because she wants something and doesn't want to lose it. The other is angry because his sister has what she wants. So James says, you covet and cannot obtain, so you quarrel and fight. Are, Are we any different? Listen to Doug Moo again. He says, verbal argument, private violence, or national conflict, the cause of them all can be traced back to the wrongful lust to want more than we have. The wrongful lust. what He's saying here, it's not that the thing desired is necessarily wrong. Maybe it's not. But, but, but even if it is or isn't, the way we desire it is the problem. It controls us. We cannot have peace. We cannot have joy without that thing, whatever it is, whether it's the respect or it's the space or it's the comfort, or it's the honor, or it's the acknowledgement, or it's the power, or it's the control. Whatever it is, we can't have peace unless people allow us to have what we want. And this simple, it's a very simple insight into the dynamics of our own hearts, it can be life-saving. This has the potential to be relationship-rescuing truth. It's a realization that can, by God's grace, help preserve a household from destruction. And and it is so kind of God to reveal this to us. It's so kind of him to show us this in order to save us from the pain of war with one another. And what God says here can help us figure out what it is that's driving me to fight right now. What is it that I'm after right now that's driving me aggressively towards battle. As one teacher put it, this should provoke theologically, excuse me, this should provoke theologically informed self-examination whenever we want to justify our fighting, and we are very good at justifying our fighting, right? Of course I raised my voice. Did you hear how he spoke to me? Of course I'm upset. Do you have any idea what my day was like? Of course I'm mad. Do you know what I've been putting up with from you for the past month? I have every reason to be angry. I have every reason to raise my voice. I have every reason to stomp around like an angry, temperamental child. No, what James says here should give us reason to do some theologically informed self-examination and think about, if I'm so quick to try to justify my fighting and the way that I'm fighting, maybe I should pause and think about what's really driving this. Think about a recent fight that you were in. Can you think of one? Do you remember what it was about? If you don't remember what it was about and you're married, maybe you want to ask your spouse, they might remember. Or ask your child if you have one. He or she may remember. And and then try to dig. These are questions worth asking. What What was our most recent fight? What was it about? And now let's start digging in. What was I desiring in that fight? What was I desiring? The other party can think about what they were desiring. Don't think about what they were desiring. Think about what was I desiring? What what was I protecting? What was I after? And then try to push in a bit and say, what was the desire under that desire? Usually there's layers to this, right? What I wanted was for you to speak kindly to me. But really underneath that, there's more. What I want is for you to honor me, for you to understand who I am. What I wanted is for you to simply love me, perhaps. To simply show gratitude, right? There's layers, and so as we peel back, we can often find desires under the desires. And then we have to ask ourselves, how exactly did this become a demand? And how did that desire become so inordinate, so out of control, that it drove us to clash with each other? I'd like to challenge you to have those conversations. It's not really a challenge. It's more of an encouragement. I think that it's a healthy conversations to have. And honestly, what good is it to even look at this if we're not willing to apply it with the people that we fight with? <laughs> I have those conversations about a recent fight. And if you can't remember a recent fight, give it some time. You'll probably fight again. And when you fight again, you can do this. James told us why fights happen. They result from the passions, the desires at war within us. Next question, what happens to us when our passions war within us? What happens when these desires are out of control? Look at verse 2 once again of James chapter 4. He says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He's saying that these desires that have become demands, we go to war over them, and we become murderers. Really? Is that really what happens to us? I mean, is that really what was happening in James? Were they really out to kill each other? We don't know. I mean, this could be taken literally true. It certainly has happened that desires at war within people have led to murder plots. I once sat in a courtroom as as a potential juror looking at a man who had murdered his ex-girlfriend on the day when she planned to marry another man. Why had he done that? He desired and he could not have. So he murdered. He coveted and could not obtain. But were the people that James is writing to here, were they really offing each other? More likely, he's alluding to what his older brother Jesus said. Our Lord said in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, he, he tells us that anger and insults, they're really just murder in, in seed form. Bitterness and animosity, they make us killers at heart, if not in practice. The Bible is filled with examples where conflict did in fact lead to murder plots, Literally. Right? We've got the story of Haman who who wanted Mordecai dead because he couldn't get the respect from him that he demanded. Cain became a murderer because his brother got the approval that he wanted. Joseph's brothers were pushed to the brink of killing him because he got the love and the blessing that they felt entitled to. And our Lord Jesus himself felt the ire, he felt the anger, and the aggressive, murderous intentions of religious authorities because he threatened their demand for status and power. But, the, but murder, it's not always so obvious. It's not always so visible. It's there in seed form in the anger and the insults that fill our minds when someone won't deliver what we want, or, or maybe they just have what we want. The anger that wishes someone were out of our lives altogether the anger that could even lead you to treat someone like they're dead to me. And it all seems so justified. It all seems so rational. But James has warned us, and back in chapter 3, verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes from down from above, but this is earthly, this is unspiritual, this is demonic. Maybe you tend to fight most often with people you love. Most of us probably fall in that category. You don't hate those people. You love them. But man, can you guys fight? And in those moments of conflict, do your words intend to hurt? To intimidate? Do your words, even towards the people you love or claim to love or really do love, in those moments, do your words, are they intended to shame? to embarrass, to belittle. See, the wisdom from above makes us peacemakers, but, but when at war, you're not thinking peace. You think me, my desires, my demands. So what happens to us when these desires are uncontrollably waging war within us? We become murderers, covetous murderers. We've got to ask one more question. What do we do about all this? What do we do? Later in this chapter, James is going to tell us more about what repentance looks like. But here, in these first three verses, he just gives us one important insight into how uh, we need to address these desires at war within us. One important insight. Look at the second half of verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. James has already told us that our fights, they happen because of what's going on inside, these desires that are out of control. And here he tells us why these desires are so out of control. Why are they so out of control? Because you're looking for your desires to be filled in the wrong place. You're demanding from others what only God can give you. I show up just wanting to be left alone in some comfort. Really, what I'm looking for is a deep, deep, more deeply, is a comfort that only God can really give me. The acknowledgement you're after, the affirmation you want, only God can really give that to you in a way that will deeply satisfy. Recognition, the power you want. No, it's the kind of power you're after is, is deadly. God can give you something much better. He can give you a power that's much better, a power of self-control, a power over sin, not a power over others. You see, what we most need, only God can give us, but we're looking for cheaper versions of it from the other people in our lives. Remember, James 1.17 said, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of light. Every good gift comes from above. We want the people in our life to give us those gifts, to make us feel loved, heard and seen, cared for and valued. Again, those are not wrong desires. But we have no guarantee that we're going to receive those things from the people in our lives, do we? And so we fight to to, to squeeze it out of them. Blackmail them into it. Pressure them into it. We make them give what, us what we want when really God has not promised that we would get any of those things from the people in our lives. But he has promised to give us those things himself. Yes, you are loved by him. You are heard and seen by him. You are cared for and valued by him. All those things ultimately only your God can give you, and he is willing to give them to you if we only stop and ask. If we only stop and stop stop asking for cheaper versions of it from other people who aren't God. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. James identifies a prayer problem here. And and then he, he goes on, he says, when you do ask from God, you don't get what you want, you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. He's saying even when you are asking, it's not even real prayer because you're motivated by selfishness. So what should they have been asking for? And how should they have been asking? This applies to us. How, what should we be asking for? How should we be asking? If God is saying, look, you don't have because you don't ask, these things you deeply want and need, you're not asking, you're not getting them. And then when you ask, you're asking them selfishly, just to spend it on yourselves, he says. What should we ask for and how should we ask? Here's some suggestions. Here's a starting point as we come. Because he's saying, you got a prayer problem. Here's, here's, some, here's some suggestions. How about we confess our anger and our self-absorption to the Lord? How's that? For a practical step, we come to him and we confess, Lord, these desires are waging war in here, and they're all about me. They're about what I want and what's been taken from me and what I want back. I am self-absorbed so much of the time. Confess that. And then here's what we can do. We can go to him and we can ask him to weigh the desires of our heart. Weigh them. Help, ask him, help me see if these desires are legitimate or not, if they're out of control or not. Ask him to test your motives and to show you what you're really after. And when we do this, it, it exposes our hearts and it, it challenges us. When we slowly, before God, say, Lord, I've confessed what I see in my heart, but Lord, look into my heart, look into my desires and weigh them. What am I really after here? And is it good? Is it something you want from me? And how about we ask him for true wisdom? He tells us to do this in James 1 5. If anyone, any of you lacks wisdom, ask. It'll be given to you. We can ask him for the wisdom to help us see the desires beneath the desires. For the wisdom that will manifest itself in peacemaking, not covetousness and bitter selfishness. We can ask them to satisfy our desires. We do this. Don't stop at just confessing and say, Lord, evaluate what's inspect what's going on in my heart. Push in and say, Lord, will you please satisfy my desires as only you can? Even as I take these desires and I submit them to you, I don't know. I don't know if all my desires are good or not. I submit them to you, and Lord, if they are good and if it's according to your will, Lord, would you meet these desires? Only you can do it. I'm tired of trying to get it from other people. By God's grace, this this kind of genuine prayer, it can reorient us. Reorient reorient us. It It can help us to see two things. One, we're not God and our desires are not at the center of the universe. And two, he is God and only he can give us what we most deeply desire and need. And here's our hope as we do that. Here's our hope. We all get into fights, but there is a much older conflict. There's a much more important conflict that predates all of our quarrels and fights, isn't there? Before we ever became enemies and started fighting with other people, we were enemies fighting with God. We dishonored and rebelled against him. We rejected a holy God. We did not give him the worship and the loyalty that he rightfully deserves as our creator and as our sustainer. Instead, we considered ourselves wise enough to live without him. Because of all that, we became enemies of a holy God. We became mired in a conflict with no hope of victory. In fact, the only hope, the only promise we had it was the promise of death and a well deserved judgment. But God changed all that. God squashed the conflict because of His great love. And because He's overflowing with mercy, He sent His only Son to be judged and to die in our place. So that we can be forgiven and be received as children. And all our needs can be met. It was the only solution to the conflict. The war was so furious, there was no end in sight. In order to end this war, God needed to sacrifice himself. He laid himself down for us. That's how kind he is. That's how generous, how wise he was willing to pay the price for our selfish ambition. For our self-seeking, self-protecting, egotistical pursuits. That conflict was squashed and it was squashed eternally. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? If you believe that, That's your hope, and that's my hope, and it's why we can come to our Father, and we can ask him for what we need, and it's why we can stop going to everyone else and trying to get it from them. We can ask him for wisdom, and every other need to be met, because Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give with him graciously? give us all things. If he did not spare his own son, was willing to allow his son to die, was willing to crush his son to rescue us and to squash this conflict, how will he not also with his son graciously give us all things? All you need, it's in him. We don't need what, you're, what we're going to war to get from Your wife, your kids, you don't need what you're going to war to get from your colleagues or from your enemies. If you have believed in Jesus, you can stop going to war and you can get it all met by him. the people you're trying to drag this stuff out of, they're trying to get it from you, and they're trying to get it from others. They'll only disappoint you. But your father says, come and ask, as a humble child who trusts in your father's generosity who trusts also in his wisdom, come and ask. Please pray with me. Lord, the wisdom to stop fighting and become peacemakers only comes from you. Lord, the wisdom to stop trying to quench our thirst for everything from other people, it only comes from you. So Lord, we pray that you would give us this wisdom. We ask that you would make us peacemakers. Lord, would you do this? Would you give us this kind of wisdom? That's pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason. Full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial and sincere. Lord, some of us, we need to be sincere with ourselves because we get into fights and we think we're justified. We're lying to ourselves thinking that what we're doing is right. Would you give us the, the wisdom that will now allow us to be sincere with ourselves, honest with ourselves, to actually look and say, no, 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 no. You're on a hopeless pursuit to get your selfish desires met. And you're hurting the people you love to try to get it from them. Lord, help us, help us to see this and then lead us in the way everlasting, Lord. Let us see more clearly how all we need is in you. Lord, give us the courage to talk to others in our home, to talk about our conflicts. Not not, not even when we're in the middle of our next fight, but now, Lord, if we're in a season of peace, if we're at peace today, help us, Lord, to, to dive into some difficult conversations about where our conflicts are coming from. Help us to see the desires, under the desires, and help us together with the ones that we love come to you together and ask for you to give us what only you can. Oh, our Father, we thank you for your kindness and abundant love in Jesus Christ. Lord, if you could reconcile us to you, if you can put an end to that conflict, (laughs) you can put an end to every squabble every quarrel, every fight, would you do this please? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.